Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Hello, everybody. My name is Sadia Hamid, and I am going to be interviewing Simi Kamal today from the Every Woman Coalition. Welcome to the podcast, Simi. Hi there. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a geographer, and I do a lot of work in the water and environment sector. But from my teenage years, I have been involved in activism for women's rights in Pakistan, in South Asia, and globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, how I came to that was uh, I saw around around me what was happening. I saw how women were being suppressed. And although I didn't know the language of uh, feminism or women's rights at that time, I could see that something wasn't quite right. So I joined my first women's organization, I think when I was 17 or maybe younger, and uh, have not looked back, uh, looked back since. And I feel that uh, this century belongs to women. But in order to make sure that we change the world, we really have to band together and we have to be involved in activism. It doesn't mean that we have to belong to political parties, but everything that we do has to be political in order to make those changes in our countries. So how did you become involved with the women? How did you find them and meet them? Well, in 2014, I had gone to New York to attend uh, the Commission on the Status of Women meeting that happens every year in March. And uh, I was um, inside the UN building and uh, chatting to a lot of women and somebody gave me a leaflet and the leaflet was going to be talking about violence against women and uh, about, you know, I, I was entranced by seeing that. And what really interested me was that it was being held in the old brownstone in New York that used to belong to Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. And, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt was the architect of uh, the human rights, uh, all the human rights conventions. And uh, I know that two very prominent women from the Indian subcontinent were involved in that. Uh, one of them was uh, Shasta Ikramullah, uh, who later became uh, very prominent in Pakistan, once Pakistan was born. So I got very interested and, you know, I caught a bus and went there. And there were all these amazing women from Harvard and elsewhere, and there were all these lawyers there. And, you know, they were arguing for uh, paying much more attention to tackling violence against women. And they were, uh, there was somebody from the UN there and somebody who works on the CEDAW, on the CEDAW work that UN does. And so there was mm. this argument about whether, you know, CEDAW is sufficient. And so I got up and I said, no, it is absolutely not sufficient. And that, you know, we really need to make a move and really call a spade a spade. And it's not enough to pussyfoot around this problem anymore because every woman is affected by violence in one way or another. I mean, the UN to me feels like a useless body that hasn't really done enough. And they've even allowed some of the worst women's rights abusers a seat at the table without challenging them, without imposing any sanctions. So I'm really, really pleased to hear you talk like that, actually. You see, I I think that UN or a UN-like body is really important because we are becoming more and more global. We are a global village now, okay? And villages Mm. have disputes and they have to be sorted out and someone has to do it. So I I think Mm. the idea of UN and the UN organization is really good. I think they have done a lot of good work. But yes, there Mm. is 
a whole lot of bureaucracy perhaps that seems to pull back all the steps we take so we take a few steps forward and then we pull back a few steps nonetheless i think the un is valuable i think it is important and that is why when we talk about every woman treaty we are talking about a un treaty we are saying this mm. has to new un treaty that countries sign up to and then we should be able to hold those countries accountable for what they do not do after signing the treaty so the treaty has to be hard hitting it has to mm. cover all aspects of violence and you know from that time onwards from 2014 march 2014 i have been involved you know uh, very much very prominently with the, the every woman campaign and the movement and i i really feel that i must do this because it is something that needs to be done and it is an idea whose time has come mm. so i give a lot of time to this i am the co-chair of the global steering committee we are setting up a global office here in pakistan uh, it's not a pakistan office it's not a south asia office it's a global office okay and Brilliant. we are going to have two more there's one in seattle and there's one more coming up in in africa the idea is that uh, people should understand that women of the world have finally united okay yes. and that we cannot be divided by mm. groups who who pick up one thing or another either it's culture or it's religion or it's politics mm. or it's racism whatever it is women are united i do not agree with the argument that says that women are so manipulative when you know they stab each other in the back and women are the worst enemies of women these are all ideas that have been sowed by men by a male reading of history and a male writing of history and we need to understand that only those people are manipulative or need to be manipulative who do not have access to straightforward power because men have always held that power so keeping all of that in mind living in a very very patriarchal society and i mean a global patriarchal society i'm not just talking about south asia i think that uh, every woman treaty is going to be very very basic in helping to wipe out violence against women forever just mm. dealing with it once and for all not in bits and pieces you know we put up a little legislation and then it is pulled back and then we say oh this legislation should be at the provincial level or it should be at the lower level or the local level no these have to be national laws and they have to be applied across the board you know yeah. there should be no exceptions if 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 a woman is beaten up or if she is violated in whatever way it has to be dealt with in the same way across the world It sounds really really exciting actually because like you said there is a lot of pussyfooting around violence against women's issues by those supposedly doing this work at the UN level but even on a national level here when we have commissioners in the UK talking about violence against women they talk about as if it's a by the by thing yes this happens but you know we can kind of just we don't put that much fun that many funds in it there's not that much radicalism in some of the work that happens on on the grounds even in the UK so to inject some radicalism back into this mission of um eliminating violent violence against women and girls is so so vital in in the UK for instance it's something that grows year on year even if all other crime has reduced domestic abuse and sexual violence crimes increase every single year so it, it's still very important to treat it as a, you know we are we are at war essentially the women are constantly being attacked but actually what's heartening is 
in the UK, attitudes and mindsets have changed to a point now where when you talk about domestic abuse and sexual violence, everybody can unanimously say that, yes, this is wrong and it shouldn't be happening. Whereas in Pakistan, that's not the case. It's still treated as a private matter. It's still treated as, you know, it's not something that we should be getting involved in or, or fighting against. To have women like yourselves battling very much on the front lines against this sort of stuff, it's really heartening. And it makes you, it, it certainly makes me feel more more kind of excited about the work that's happening internationally around around this sort of this sort of thing. One of the questions I do want to ask you is how do you lobby countries and lawmakers to ensure they have laws to protect against violence against women and girls? Currently in Pakistan, we have we do have some good laws. Okay? Mm-hmm. Problem is when we want to implement them. Yes. Because everybody from the men in the house to the policemen and women, to people in shelters, to the lawyers' fraternity, to judges, to government organizations, they don't actually believe in these laws, okay? Because uh, the bottom line is that uh, uh, while the West may have learned political correctness around these issues, I mean, I, I believe that the West is still patriarchal, it's just that the nature is a bit different. For example, yeah. it's uh, you have intimate partner violence, much more there. And then, you know, here, here we have members of the family perpetrating violence. But nonetheless, women and girls, you know, face violence all the time. So coming back to mm-hmm. Pakistan, even if we put together a great law and we lobby for it and we get it implemented and, you know, there, there are women's caucuses in parliament and, you know, they, get, they are activated. The one right now is not very active, but in the past they have been very active. And, you know, women inside and outside the parliament work together. But then when it comes to implementation, many of the people who have to implement are men or they are, they are women who are not in sufficient numbers or not sufficiently in powerful positions to really act. Then those the actual impact of those laws is very low. So this has been an issue. We have we have domestic uh, violence laws. We have uh, uh, sexual harassment in the workplace uh, laws. Uh, we uh, we have about uh, uh, get being fair to women when they're working, especially home-based workers. We yeah. have all these laws, and nonetheless, there are two on which they always get stuck. One is that uh, domestic violence. People are always against domestic violence. Because somehow they feel it's it's a, it's a private matter, as you say. And because yeah. there has been tradition in our part of the world to say it is all right to hit a woman lightly, you know. So they, yeah. Yeah. they, That's they dynamic, discipline. And many of our laws talk about women, children and the mentally infirm together. So when you band them all together, you can imagine what kind of uh, what kind of uh, thinking that uh, that evolves and how hard it is to change that. So yeah, the mindset change still isn't there. So to answer your second question about uh, how we lobby, you know, mm. we have we have uh, a women's movement of sorts. I'm saying mm. of sorts because it is not that organized, but at crucial moments it has come together. So it's it's a it's a band of women. And it's called uh, Women Action Forum. I've been a member of that for a very long time. And, you know, it's it's active not only largely in the cities and larger towns, not really in the rural areas. Nonetheless, uh, women in these movements have, have tried at different times to, you know, make common cause with rural women as well. Certainly, you know, when there is uh, on 
killings or there are there are other kinds of violence against women that comes into the media then the women action forum actually gets into action and we 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 yeah. try to ensure that they are helped we have acid crimes in pakistan as well throwing of acid on women some men as well i'm not saying that you know men do not face violence they do too mm. but you know the the violence against women is in, is 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 a kind of a, it's it's a it's part of the way society works and therefore it is so much harder to change so yes women action forum comes together whenever needed constantly lobby with elected reps with the women development departments with the human rights commission with the uh, commission on the status of women we have provincial commissions as well as a national commission uh, we write in the media we write in many languages we try to bring up issues on the rights of women and girls wherever possible we do it through the health sector through the education sector you know we do it at all levels uh, we speak up in very stark ways we also speak in softer tones we needed we try to get the changes in ways that would be more acceptable all of those things have been tried i believe that you have to take the bull by the horns i believe that yes. you have to state the changes you're trying to make uh, and uh, you know set the goals really high and go towards that in pakistan you know as two of my feminist friends uh, wrote in a book and the title of which was two steps forward one step forward two steps back really it has been like that we went through yeah. a very bleak period of uh, military dictatorship uh, you know where a lot of the civil liberties were let go a lot of the the some very suppressive laws were brought in in the name of religion and culture and it has been a real problem you know putting all of that back i was a member of the national commission on the status of women for 3 years and uh, some of the women on that commission didn't want change so a lot of the time you know we were trying to even get the all the commission all the women on the commission to agree on uh, making some of the changes nonetheless there were some things we were able to do for example getting doing some of the, the spade work to ensure that the commission has some teeth and that you know it can actually call upon uh, others to be accountable to be held accountable on what is happening under their ministries and in and in their domains but it is always a battle recently yeah. for example in one of our provinces punjab which is the largest province of four provinces in pakistan wonderful woman called fauzia wakar who was the chairperson of the provincial commission has been unceremoniously removed no reason given and you know right now we are uh, you know we have we have mounted a protest about that and to see that she should get reinstated and we are going to court who removed fazia the provincial government so uh, on that note pakistan has a very very conservative government in power right now how how obstructive are they being to the works that you're doing and the government that is in power right now in in yeah. many ways in many ways and uh, the optics the optics in terms of women have been good uh, in the sense that whenever they uh, the, the political party that is now in power would uh, would be out on the streets women were part of that they have a strong uh, women's wing uh they have um, two ministers i believe who are women and because you know pakistan um, parliament has a reserved seats for women 17% so yes there are women there because the reserved seats are filled by political parties in the proportion in which they get uh, seats from the general election so therefore uh, it's not always given that the best and strongest women will come over there 
sometimes even yeah. the most politically active are not put there so if the, when there is political give and take so if somebody didn't uh, win a seat okay let's put his wife on the reserved seat okay so if yeah. in that scenario the women who are there right now are not very strong the women's caucus is not very strong hopefully it will get stronger as we go um so the, the optics in 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 one way seem better that you know Uh, the government is not telling women to cover themselves from head to foot they are doing no such thing they are they are making some politically politically correct noises about women's rights and all of that but then when we look at what's happening on the ground we have not seen uh, very uh, very positive changes but one could say that this government is still new and they've only been there 8 months so we have to give them give them some time to settle down but i think what's really important to understand are, are the trends that have been happening you know over the last few decades so if we don't talk about particular governments if we just talk about those trends we can see mm-hmm. that uh, while in in some ways uh, women are more visible and uh, there you will see more business women you'll see them more in jobs all of those things are visible nonetheless in my view we are going backwards and we are going backwards because we still have not managed to solve some basic issues inheritance for example so under islamic yep. laws women can inherit and there are some set uh, uh, set um, proportions under which they inherit under different schools of thought and in some schools of thoughts they get half in some they don't okay but they get something yep. but the 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 way people live and behave and the customs and the norms are that women are told from childhood that if they are good sisters they must uh, waive their rights in favor of their brothers yes okay. i've heard so this even though even though the supreme court has said that you know a woman cannot give up her rights she must get her inheritance then she can gift it okay if she wishes the idea being that once she gets her inheritance she's unlikely to gift it okay so nonetheless uh, the view in society is it is not nice and that nice girls do not fight with their brothers over inheritance that you know nice yeah. girls step backwards and nice girls accept the dowry uh, which is prevalent in many parts of pakistan though the dowry system is not present everywhere so yeah. you know they get the dowry and they keep quiet in yeah. the same way when uh, girls and boys behave in the same way their punishments are very different or the yes. way society views them are very different and the social ostracism that happens is very different for girls and boys you know mm-hmm. for for the girls sometimes she may lose her life okay yeah. or she may be confined to the house or the, or you know she may never be allowed to choose a partner but for boys yeah. it is uh, it is much lighter although not in every case because the honor killing as it happens in the central part of pakistan you know mm-hmm. there it is a uh, it's not uh, it's not just the girl but the boy yeah, may no. also be may also be attacked or killed yeah so as far as i'm aware more women get killed in honor killings than men right what happens is that uh, uh, in many many parts of pakistan it's called karokari karokari yes, yeah. is uh, when a couple unmarried couple is suspected of having had uh, sexual relations okay yes. so then you know uh, usually both are held accountable um, by by their families or by society but there are other forms of honor killing that only affect women yes you're right for example yeah. uh, you know she was caught dancing or you know she was talking to boys on the phone or all kinds of 
things like that. In Karokari, a lot of the time there are either social disputes or disputes over land or economic disputes, which are then settled in this way that, you know, you accuse the guy of another family. And then because there has to be a partner, so then you accuse a girl in your own family. In a way, the girl is sacrificed, you know, to, to settle to settle other kinds of disputes. From Pakistan, we've seen countless cases like that. There was that case of the girls in the rural area that got caught singing whilst the men were dancing and they were murdered. And uh, I'm sure you've heard of the Mukhtar Mai case where her younger brother was accused of, you know, uh, trying it on with women from... uh, I think she is amazingly courageous and what she has done. In fact, through one of my programs, you know, we also fund her, her shelter for women amazing amazing um yes it's it's i mean the strength that she showed was just phenomenal um so for those of you that don't know about darmai's case uh, her brother was accused of trying it on with um a girl from a higher caste family that then led to her being forced to divorce her husband and presented to the male uh, the men of of that family for them to gang rape her in the hope that after the gang rape that she would commit suicide and it, immediately after the gang rape she was I mean after she was raped she was expected to walk back home without any clothes after she was gang raped she stayed in her room for a while and came out this just amazing strong woman and ensured that this doesn't happen to any other woman and uh, in the first instance women from around Pakistan would just turn up at her house and she would have them sleep on her floor she had nothing to give them other than just a shoulder and today she's doing phenomenal work in Pakistan so she really really defied you know the odds out there she was expected just to cave in and that's what what was going on in Pakistan and still is in some cases that you know there's such there's such a burden placed on women to maintain their honor there is a in that that largely is around virginity and and chastity and modesty and stuff like that so when a woman is raped she's she's expected to just hide away for the rest of her life or commit suicide or, you know, just die of shame. So for a woman to fight back in that scenario, it's just, it's unimaginable, really, particularly since everybody is going to, in Mukhtar Mai's case, everybody would have known what happened to her um, and everybody would have expected her to just die of shame. You know, we all know what's happened to you. Why are you even talking about this? And she didn't. She fought back. It was just it was a phenomenal woman. She is totally amazing. And mm. she has kept up the battle because some of the people she accused, some are in jail because, you know, it took years to catch them, but they, they got there. But some have recently been released, a few of them, on the basis that there isn't enough evidence against them. This happened just a few weeks ago. Nonetheless, the main accusers are still in jail. But she's mm-hmm. she's real inspiration because, uh, and you know, she's, uh, she's from a rural area, some very small place. Um, the point is that uh, because of her example and some other women who have chosen to speak up, other women mm-hmm. are speaking up. You know, yeah. uh, people on Twitter, on uh, on social media, uh, people are not afraid to come and speak on media. But, you know, our media, unfortunately, is very insensitive. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes when a case comes to 
to the police, they start talking about it in the press, um, especially on TV. It's all instantaneous. So in a way, you are giving vital information to the perpetrators. Okay, It's jeopardizing the case. It is completely jeopardizing the case. So uh, there a lot of... Uh, lot of um, education of the media needs to be done and you know revealing people's names and where they are and their positions you just endanger their lives even more so this is one aspect that uh, needs to be uh, looked at and we need to have uh, more more laws and more and better procedures to regulate how the media deals with this Uh, at the same time you know there have been in the past few years many attempts to to help uh, help the police to deal better with these cases you know many yes, times uh, because uh, people feel that their honor is being affected so they will often come back and uh, tell the police that their their daughter has been kidnapped because mm-hmm. it's better to say that than to say that she has been lured away or you know she's run off with somebody and a lot of the time uh, the violence starts in this way uh, men, mm. uh, you know, they they target young young vulnerable girls, and it's usually older men who do that. And then you know they encourage them to leave their houses and go off with them, and they then they end up in brothels or they end up violated. And you know, in many cases, the men marry these women, okay? And then the society says, oh, but they're married. Well, if you f- force somebody into a marriage, especially underage marriage. And uh, in in Pakistan, we have we have laws, uh, especially in some of the provinces, very clearly state that a girl cannot be married if she's under 18. So domestic mm-hmm. violence and marriage age of 18 are the two that the right wing conservatives most oppose. Okay, yes. because they believe yes. that uh, when girls hit puberty, whether it's 11 years or 12 years or whatever, they're ready to be married off. So that has yes. been one of the biggest battles of the women's movement. So uh, there is more, uh, I think uh, if we look at the data uh, on um, ever married women, uh, there has been a trend in Pakistan and we can say that uh, girls are getting married at a slightly later age, okay, but they're still getting married at 16, 17 and 18, maybe not at 11, 12 or 13. And, you know, educated girls, of course, are getting married in late, in late 20s and, and 30s even 30s in the cities. Sadly, in rural parts of Pakistan, it's still very, very young, isn't it? And the thing is, um, these girls often aren't educated about their body, their rights, basic, basic things, allowing perpetrators to to abuse them and denying them the the right of knowing how to challenge those those perpetrators and those abusive relationships. Um, And the problem is, um, in this regard, in terms of violence against women, religious conservatives, I mean, uh, religiously, um, I remember being taught this from a very, very young age, even here as a Pakistani girl in Britain, that, um, you know, your first period should be in your parents' house and your second period in your your husband's house. And there are sadly going to be some people that very that do very much believe that and will act on that so um there needs to be that you know young girls need to know that they have a right to fight back against that some interesting things have happened uh, in pakistan recently courts are generally very supportive if uh, 
women go to court, especially women who are married at a very young age and they seek that their marriage, they want divorce and they want out. And um, courts have uh, generally been very helpful to women and yeah. also in custody, also in custody. I have noticed this very much in the last maybe two decades. You know, we must acknowledge the good things that have happened. Yes, there are bad things happening, but there's some good things too. So certainly that is the case. Also, women are now refusing to stay in terrible marriages and they see a way out. The marriage laws for Muslims, that uh, this is the Muslim family law ordinance of the 1960s. I believe it is one of the best reform laws and one that has survived a lot of attempts to get rid of it. And you know, under that, the marriages are regularized. Uh, it, they have to be registered. And there is a clause, you know, clause 18, which says mm -hmm. that the right of marriage, and the, a woman can also have a right of marriage if the family agree or the groom agrees can be done but still for a man even now he has unlimited choice to walk out of any marriage he wants yeah. or basically divorce his wife okay and no question yeah. can be asked what the muslim family law is does is that it says that you cannot pronounce divorce three times in one go that you know you actually have to put it in writing and it has to go through the family courts and that there has to be a three-month period and that has to so that there is a room for conciliation and uh, so it's a uh, it, it is really in my view a good reform law that pakistan was able to win but you see but it does not apply does not apply to non-muslim women so now uh, one of our provinces has uh, uh, done a similar thing for christian marriages and uh, i'm not sure if for hindu marriages it's already happened or it is about to happen so there are attempts yes uh, we we try very hard as I said that because of having all those women in parliament has made a difference now you will be amazed to know that in the last in the previous government uh, analysis was run in terms of all the private members bill and the other laws that were brought about I think more than 70% of those in fact close to 80% were brought by women so while the while the men do politicking okay the women <laughs> actually the work they are supposed to do which is legislation so those 20 yeah. percent women the 17 percent on reserve seats and the three percent that come from general seats are actually doing the work of the parliament most of the work of the parliament so yeah, women can yeah. be very serious yes the, I, I mean we we must acknowledge the good things that have happened as i said earlier so this is yeah. one of the things we need to look at and of course, you know, working on, on uh, more supportive laws for women, uh, working hard to implement uh, the family laws ordinance and uh, other laws that exist, and then battling to do away and repeal the laws that are not good for women or are discriminatory towards them. For example, uh, during the time of the military rule of General Ziaulha, these laws were introduced called the Hudud ordinances purportedly based on Islamic law, but a lot of Islamic scholars will disagree that they were actually Islamic. Nonetheless, when the term Islamic is attached, for ordinary people, you know, they think it's a, it's a code by which to live. So under the Hudud ordinances, there are a number of laws, one of which was about rape and adultery because they were both put under the same same law and uh, proof the proof or the witnessing for proving that it was adultery and not rape were made uh, the burden was placed on the woman so if, if a woman went to court and she said well i've been raped they said oh you are you are accepting that you've had sex now we have to find out you know 
whether it was consensual or not. Can you imagine? So uh, many of us worked really hard, uh, especially at the time when I was a member of the National Commission on the Status of Women, that we, we were finally able to have a law to supersede that, which is called Women's Protection Act. And what that did was to take rape out of the Hudud ordinance and put it back into the criminal code where it belongs. So, you know, there have been we there have been uh, successes in terms of uh, uh, what the women's movement and women's commissions and women parliamentarians together and also, you know, women writers, women in the media, uh, all of them, the efforts that they have been able to put together. Um, it the battle goes on. And uh, as I said earlier, you win some and lose some, but you have to keep on doing it. Yes, yeah, exactly. So one question I do have is in terms of um, women that do come forward that have been raped, um, what is their treatment like? Are they treated respectfully? Are they? Uh, what's the forensic examination process or is, is there even a forensic examination process? I mean, I've heard some horrific stories of things like the two finger test. So um, is what what is the treatment of rape victims like in Pakistan? You see, in our society, we don't even want to talk about menarche and women having periods and girls having yeah. periods, let alone other bodily functions. We don't like to talk about uh, sex at all. Okay, so if uh, the reason why men continue to get away with sexually harassing women and perpetrating sexual violence against them is um, because they knew that the girls would uh, and the women would not speak up. Or that yeah. if they did so, their families would hush it up. Uh, they would either tell them to keep quiet or they will take matters into their own hands and, uh, you know, wreak retribution on whoever was responsible in their own way rather than, you know, going through the legal system. So all those problems exist. Society as a whole considers women who have been raped to be to be dirty. OK, yeah. to be stayed away from. So uh, where rapes have occurred, uh, families try to hide, to hide it. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the reasons we find it very, very difficult to even identify such women because um, families won't talk about them. They themselves will not talk about it. So then what happens? Imagine all the mental torture they go through and uh, then families try to hide and then because marriage is considered to be the pinnacle of a woman's life, okay, largely in our societies. So yeah. families then bemoan the fact that she cannot be married. So then they try to hide the fact. So it's obviously it is not something that is talked about much or handled in a in a in a way where we put uh, the woman in the center and find uh, ways to support her. What we try to do is to sidetrack her or put her, lock her up somewhere or put her somewhere quiet to certainly not talk about it. So the kind of, you know, the social support she needs, the psychological support, the legal support, none of that is forthcoming. So mm -hmm. that is still very, very difficult. We have uh, we have learned to deal with and talk about asset crimes, sexual harassment at work, even domestic, um, you know, abuse of domestic workers. All of those things, you know, mm. we are ready to talk about. We are also ready to talk about child sexual abuse, by the way. But we are yeah. not, we are, as a society, we are not ready to talk about adultery, rape, about, you know, women owning their own bodies. 
you know, women having a choice in these matters because society says that women should not decide who they wish yeah. to share their bodies with. Some man must decide it. The family, yeah. the husband or, or someone else, you know, but women should yeah. not decide. So the idea of, you know, women being in charge of their own bodies, I mean, we have a long way to get there. But what I want to share with you is that on 8 March this year, we had these wonderful women's marches across Pakistan yes. cities. And it really put the dander up in case of especially young men. The young men yes. who are socialized to believe that they are demigods, for them yes. to see these young girls. And I've been going to marches all my life since I was a teenager. And but this time, a lot of young men as well supporting the cause. And, you know, the placards they held up were so amazing. They were not the typical ones saying we want yeah. uh, health and we want mother and child health and, you know, we want yeah. equal pay. Those are all old slogans. They had wonderful new slogans such as yeah. go warm up your own food, for example. Yeah. Go iron yeah. your own my, clothes, you know. One of my favorites was low bed gay peaks like now I'm sitting properly. Um, and I loved that. I loved that. Um, yeah. There were so many fantastic ones. And for the first time, I felt really hopeful uh, after seeing women in Pakistan being so, so radical. I knew the men, they were just on fire. They couldn't cope with women being yes. so, so they forced. And, no, they couldn't. And, you know, my daughter and I, we both went together to, to this march. I had a lot of, some young people from my office and there were a lot of others. But what was amazing about that, those marches, was that there were a lot of rural women there as well. There were women musicians, women from villages, women from political parties. Uh, there were transgender people there. You know, there were there were many men to support the cause. There were there were civil society activists. So it was it was just for me it was just wonderful and so uplifting. And yeah. I think some of those placards were amazing. I've got pictures of them still saved on my phone. I found them so yeah. interesting and inspiring. Yeah. Do you have any male political allies, the ones that hold power in Pakistan? Do you have any male politicians who are willing to support you and stand with you who are going to really, really fight your corner? There are a few and they, they have been around. I mean, uh, over the last few decades, there certainly are. There are some there are some lawyers there are who have helped us with uh, many legal issues um, there are there are people from uh, different uh, sectors you know mm -hmm. actors people in the media writers many writers in mm -hmm. fact you know we have a you'll be interested to know that we have a Pakistani women's day which is on 12th February and that commemorates a procession that was taken out taken out by women in Lahore against the law of inheritance and uh, you know the police came and they beat the women up and took some of them and locked them up in jail and that was really the start of not just a, a renewed effort for women's rights but also democratic rights because this was the age of military rule and um, that movement actually grew into uh, MRD which was a movement for the restoration of democracy and one of Pakistan's red, most <clears throat> radical poets was out there, you know, reciting his poems. And he also got taken up and put in jail. So, yes, really? there have been there have been men and there are men who understand that the whole uh, view and writing of history 
has uh, really left women out and they are they are trying they are trying to support our cause because uh, as i said this is a century for women there are now 9 or 10 countries in the world that have uh, 50% men and 50% women in parliament uh, when that happens and it's already happened that uh, the change is already happening so we should mm-hmm. embrace that change help it on and uh, always remember that we must celebrate the small victories that we have because women everywhere need to feel that yes they have contributed to that change which means that they can change which means that they can strive for bigger changes so my last question is um what would you like to say to or ask our listeners and how can they help or get involved i think first of all everyone must stop being a victim yes we should just say no and yeah. uh, saying no is easy if we stop being victims then men and others will stop being perpetrators so i think that's really important if i can say it in urdu if there are people listening yeah zalim ko khatam karne ke liye khud mazloom hona band kar de yes to stop the person who is uh, unjust or who is perpetrating violence you have to stop being a victim that's the yes. first message i'd like to give secondly i'd like to say is that if you see anything around you your neighbors and your family friends schools colleges workspace step forward don't say it's not my business addressing violence is everyone's business so we should speak up then i'd like to say to people in whatever stage in the hierarchy they are from homes to the supreme court hmm. their job which is suspend judgment and take care of women who have been affected by violence put your religion culture upbringing your own ideas your politics aside and help that person that is yeah. really important powerful empowered women they scare perpetrators that's why they fight back against them and the more of us that are empowered the less power perpetrators have that's true you see patriarchy is all around us so we have to fight patriarchy at all levels individual level whether we do it through our families we do it through our work groups through it to our friends but i think political engagement is important and political engagement doesn't mean you have to be a card holding party member it just means that you need to be out there on the street when needed just the way these young children are now calling you know fridays for future all these kids are out yes you know we need to do that you know on women's day on other days whenever whenever there's something happened to anybody that you know get out on the streets start yeah. writing you know send letters get on social media because if we do not speak and our voice isn't heard there will be no change and I, the last thing i'd like to say is we all need to battle for individual rights the battle for women's rights is not about family rights you know the family is where the worst violence gets perpetrated against women across the world so yeah. therefore we need to fight this battle on ensuring that women have individual human rights the same as men and that mm. equality is absolutely essential thank you so much simi it was lo- lovely speaking to you thank you so very much for coming on to our podcast thank you it was a pleasure talking to you take care